Okay. So please open with me in God's Word to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17, as we continue to walk through this book in studying Revelation here this morning. Now, I assume that we've all heard the saying, ignorance is bliss. And often ignorance is bliss. This can be true in many areas of life, since we don't need to worry about or deal with the things that we don't know. Yet there are often things in this life that are too important for us to be ignorant about. And this morning we come to a mystery that is far too important for us to remain ignorant about. That's why God devotes this entire chapter in Revelation to reveal and explain a mystery to us. So I want us to begin this morning by reading this chapter, both with its mystery, the revealing of its mystery, as well as its explanation. So, Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels, who had seven bulls, came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, come. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. The angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which is the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. They are, these are of one mind, and they give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. 
And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate, naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Brothers and sisters, before we consider this mystery further, let us return to our Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, as we have studied through this book you have given to bless us, we recognize that the symbols can be so confusing that the truths can be so hard to understand. But Lord, we trust you have given us this for our good and for your glory. And so we pray that you will help us this morning to understand this mystery so that we can then apply the encouragement that you give us through this word in our lives, even as we continue to struggle and suffer in this world. So, Father, please empower your word through your spirit as they are preached this morning. That your word will not return void, but will work in each and every one of our hearts and minds, and souls. So that sinners will be saved and that saints will be equipped to live in a world that remains corrupt and cursed until the end of this age. Father, I pray you will be with me I will faithfully speak your word this morning and magnify the beauty and the glory of Christ. Father, it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, what do we learn from this mystery? It's that we must resist the world's temptations by relying on Jesus. We must resist the world's seductions by relying on Christ. We come to this lesson first through the revealing of this mystery in verses 1 to 6, which is then followed by the explaining of this mystery in verses 7 to 18. So you have revealing the mystery, verses 1 to 6, followed by explaining the mystery verses 7 to 18. So let's begin as this mystery is revealed to us. And of course, the Apostle John has recorded these symbolic visions of prophecy from God for us so that Christ's churches will be encouraged as we struggle and suffer in this present evil age. Because it's during this age that Christians will face tribulation in this world. But the time is coming when this persecution will intensify. And our enemy Satan sends the Antichrist and false prophet into the world. 
This unholy trinity then will deceive the world as it unifies governmental and economic and religious powers together to oppose and to oppress Christ's church. What we have seen here in Revelation is as God delivered Israel from their suffering in Egypt through plagues of judgment against their enemies, so too God will deliver Christ's church as the spiritual Israel from our suffering in this world through plagues of judgment against our enemies. Which is why John sees then these plagues of judgment through seven bowls of the wrath of God that are poured out on this earth at the end of this age which hardens the hearts of those living on the earth in rebellion against God. And they refuse to repent of their sins in stubborn defiance of his rule. And so as this chapter begins, we find that one of these seven angels with the bowls of wrath comes and talks with John and invites him to see what will come through the last two bowls, which is God's judgment of the great harlot. It means that he's shown a prostitute who is seducing those living in this world with her pleasures to draw them away from God in their sin. And while this is the first time that the harlot appears here in the book of Revelation, Israel was often warned by the prophets of their harlotry, which would lead them to come under God's judgment. See, this graphic picture of prostitution or harlotry was used to show their unfaithfulness to God by sinfully lusting and pursuing after other lovers in this world through both their immorality and their idolatry. But look here at how this great harlot is described. She is sitting on many waters, having committed fornication or adultery with the kings of the earth. And the inhabitants of the earth then join with them in becoming drunk with the wine for fornication, adultery. So you can think of it this way. It's like the whole world has cheated on God with this prostitute by being intimate with this great harlot, indulging in her pleasures to the point of excess. They have lost control and given themselves over to her seduction as they seek the joy and gratification that she offers them in this world. But before John is shown God's judgment of the great harlot, he is carried away by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to see her up close. And what does he see her then sitting on? But a scarlet beast. And by now you should know who this beast is. Right? He's the Antichrist. This beast then rules over his empire, while the woman is his capital city, seducing the nations to join with it and worship the beast through promises of prosperity and pleasure. The beast, though, is, is colored uh, scarlet red because he was sent by a great fiery red dragon who is that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Which means that he is Satan's beast risen to power in this world. 
And we go on to read that he is full of names of blasphemy, speaking against God and opposing God and his people. Also, having seven heads and ten horns, as Satan did in his war against God's people. This is also how the Antichrist was previously described in Revelation. Listen to chapter 13, verse 1. John writes that I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. So clearly this is the same beast that John had previously seen. But once again, this brings us back to Daniel's visions of the four beasts in his prophecy of Daniel 7. And uh, we need to be reminded once more of the background then of this imagery to understand the beast. Because there God reveals the meaning of these visions to Daniel. When he sees four beasts coming up out of the sea, he's told they represent four kings and their kingdoms, which arise in history from the time of Daniel until the coming of Christ, which represent the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Greek, and the Roman empires. So the empire that is alive during the time of Christ and the time of these churches then is this great Roman empire. But together, these four beasts have seven heads, which means that they are all brought together for this final beast in Revelation who will arise in the future. So the fourth beast in Daniel's visions find also had ten horns, which represent the kings following him that attack and persecute God's people, where then a little horn rises from among them. And this little horn is the final king, in this age, to arise and oppose Christ in his church. Yes, he speaks pompous words against the Most High and shall persecute the saints of the Most High, which is why he is seen with a blasphemous name on his head. Does this sounding familiar? That's what we also read here in Revelation. So this final king is now seen in Revelation as a beast carrying a harlot to seduce the nation where her royal clothes are arrayed in purple and scarlet. Now, we may think today of different colors, and it's, it's not a big deal to wear purple clothes or scarlet red clothes. But back in the day when this was written, purple and scarlet was incredibly hard to make as a dye which is why only the richest of the rich and royalty itself would wear these colors in their clothes. So we see these colors then symbolizing the harlot's luxury in this world. But she's also wearing gold and precious stones and pearls. This rare and expensive jewelry emphasizes both her great wealth and her economic success, which is why she becomes the very envy of the world. Do you see what she is carrying in her hand? It's a golden cup, which is full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. See, while her luxury and her wealth 
and her power seduces the kings and the inhabitants of the earth. Here we read what her wine of fornication truly is. Disgusting, dirty, depraved poison that they drink deeply to the destruction of their souls. But who is this woman then? Who is this mysterious woman? Well, she has her name written on her forehead that John sees. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So she is the very fulfillment of Babylon, the, the, the great empire that opposed God's people and, and that the prophet Jeremiah warned against, as we read earlier this morning. But, but let's uh, hear from Jeremiah a little bit later in his prophecy against Babylon. Jeremiah 51, verses 6 to 8. Listen to these words. The prophet Jeremiah says, Flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her, take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. So it is this Babylon who comes to symbolize this rebellion against God in opposition to God's people in Scripture. Which is why here in Revelation, Babylon comes to represent the very capital city of the Roman Empire, Rome itself. This was the great empire that Christ was born into and that his church had been suffering under. And like Babylon, Rome seduced the nations of this world to draw them away from God and immorality and idolatry. And it will one day be revived at the end of this age, under the rule of the Antichrist. So Babylon the Great is a city which symbolizes humanity's stubborn refusal to submit to God in sin, as well as their final effort to oppose and oppress Christ's church through their power. Which then explains what we read in verse 6, that she is drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. You see how great a success she has had in persecuting and killing Christians in this war that takes place against us. Which is why when John sees her, he marvels with amazement. He is told that he will see the judgment of this great harlot, yet what has he seen so far? Her amazing success. So what he's seen is overwhelming. And it leaves him troubled and confused. What, what could this be? What, what, what could be the meaning of this mystery? Do you see in the spiritual war that we're in with our enemy, Satan, 
how we're not only battling against the world's people and powers, but we're also being seduced by this world's prosperity and pleasures. That's what the great harlot reveals to us. How then will you handle her temptations? Because our sinful hearts will lust after her and what she offers us in this world. Which is why we need Christ, who then enters into this picture as the mystery is explained. So let's move then from the revealing of this mystery to the explaining of this mystery in verses 7 to 18. Because here the angel speaks again to explain what John has just seen. And he begins by rhetorically asking why John marveled. After all, John has already seen and heard what will happen to this great city. But the mystery of this woman and of the beast that carries her have been hidden from our understanding. Which is why it is here explained for our encouragement and equipping to suffer and struggle faithfully in this world. So as this, what, what, what John has seen, this, this revelation is explained, we, we first see the, the beast explained, where we read the beast was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit. Now, when he ascended in chapter 13, you may remember he ascended from the sea. But here he ascends from the bottomless pit, which earlier is where those demonic scorpion locusts came out from the very pit of hell, which shows us the true origins and source of the beast. But here with this language, we see him imitating God, who through revelation is called him who is and who was and who is to come. So, here, the beast is putting himself in the place of God to be worshipped by the nations of this world. And back in chapter 13, we see that this beast also imitates Christ through a deadly wound that is healed so that he lives and receives worship, which is why he is also called the Antichrist. He is imitating Christ. Which is another way to say that he was and is not and is to come. But I think that the primary meaning here is that he was with Satan, that he is not currently reigning in this world, and that he will ascend then out of this bottomless pit at the end of the age to deceive the nations and war against Christ's church. But brothers and sisters, our encouragement is found with what awaits him after he arises. What do we read happens? Perdition. God's judgment. Destruction in the lake of fire. This is the Antichrist's eternal destiny, which has been determined by the decree of our sovereign God. But those who dwell on the earth will marvel at the rise of the Antichrist 
As John had marveled, so the nations too will marvel at the Antichrist and his empire with its luxurious capital city. So who are those that will marvel at his rise? But all those whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. In other words, those who are not God's elect people who are saved by Christ through his death on the cross. It's those of us who have been chosen by God in eternity past to be freed from our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross to have our names recorded in this book as citizens of heaven. Which is why we are then secure in his salvation and receive his life, eternal life. We will not marvel at the rise of the Antichrist because we will understand this mystery to come. Yet all others are seduced by this world in their sin and will worship the Antichrist who imitates Christ through his own death and resurrection of sorts as he rises in power and authority to rule over the earth. See, as we needed wisdom to identify the Antichrist by understanding the number of the beasts, so we also need wisdom to identify him as he is pictured in this vision. Which is why the angel goes on to explain the beast with his seven heads. What does this mean? Well, God is revealing the truth to us in order that we will not be deceived by this satanic deception and harlot's deduction or seduction. And so the, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Rome, you may know, was famously recognized for being built on seven hills. And so this harlot is enthroned on these seven hills as the Roman Empire then controls the world. But these seven heads we see also portray seven kings, with five having fallen, one that is, and the other that is not yet to come. Now, who these kings are have been debated for centuries, okay? With most of people seeing them as the Roman emperors of the first century. But this morning, I'm, I'm simply going to skip over the whole debate, along with the history lesson of the first century Roman Empire, because what matters most here for us is the final king that comes at the end of the age. As I've said before, he is the one to bring a revival of the Roman Empire, likely with the emperor Nero serving as a type and example of the greater Antichrist to come to rule over the world. So we see here that when this final king comes, he must continue for a short time. You see, his terror may be severe, but his time is short. Praise God. His time is short. So the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth emperor and is one of the seven because he too will follow and they're opposing God and his people through the persecution of Christ's church. 
And so we see the angel then repeating his destiny when he says that he is going to perdition. But then John continues writing and, and recording this explanation from the angel about the ten horns that he saw on the beast which the angel identifies as ten kings who have not yet come to power, but who will receive authority from our sovereign God for one hour, this short time at the end of the age, when they will then rule with the beast and follow him into war. So there is this unification of the nations under the rule of the Antichrist once he rises. And these leaders will act together with one mind as they agree to give their power and authority to him in support. Which means that they too will battle against Christ the Lamb in a final worldwide war between unrepentant sinners of this world and Christ's church. But who will triumph? Who will triumph in this war? The Lamb. Christ triumphs. He will overcome them because this isn't a fair fight. He is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings who rules and reigns over his creation with sovereign power. So what a reversal we see taking place here. That the little horn of Daniel and this final king to come rises to prevail against the saints, yet it's the Lamb who will prevail against the Antichrist and his followers. This is why Christ is seen here not alone, but with his church. Because his church will stand with him as his army in this battle. And look at how his church is described. Three words. Called, chosen, and faithful. So we are called because we have been called out from this world by the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ to re receive eternal life and live with God forever. But not only are we called, here we are also chosen. God has selected us to save us from his wrath and judgment by offering his son as a substitute for us on the cross so that we become his people and belong to him. So we are called and we are chosen, which then means that third and finally, we must be faithful. Faithful as those who are called and chosen, we must remain faithful to Christ in the midst of the temptations and trials and troubles and tribulation of this world. So we persevere through our faith in Christ in the strength that he gives us through the Holy Spirit. But then the angel goes on to continue explaining further what John had seen. We continue reading in the chapter that the waters of this harlot, the, the waters that the harlot sits on are the peoples of this world. 
because she is controlling them through her seduction. Yet do you see how sin is self-destructive? What happens to the harlot? The beast's ten horns will turn on her. The Antichrist and these kings will revolt in a civil war against the people of the city because they hate her. I like how Jim Hamilton then rightly applies these verses to our lives when he writes, If you are not faithful to God, no one is going to be faithful to you. If you are not faithful to God, anyone who enters into an alliance with you is not being faithful to God either. You cannot trust anyone who is not faithful to God. The kings of the world turn on the very things that they use for their pleasure. So look at how this woman is described. That her luxurious clothes and her expensive jewelry are stripped away. as those in power make her desolate and naked. And then go on, we read here, to eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now such graphic brutality is the result of the world's stubborn sinfulness under God's wrath and judgment against them. Yet once again, in the midst of what happens here, we see the sovereignty of God. Because we read, He is the one who puts into their hearts to fulfill this purpose and bring human history to an end. Do you see how it's God's will to bring these ten kings together in one mind and give their kingdom to the beast for a time at the end of this age? And it's the God who unites this kingdom, who is the same God who has predestined its destruction, which is what his word promises and will be fulfilled. Well, how we can trust the word of God. All its words are trustworthy and true. And even as the church has waited for centuries these promises to be fulfilled for this justice to come in this world we're reassured through God's revelation to us that his word will be kept which is where our hope then in his word is found so the harlot herself symbolizes this great city of sinful humanity which reigns over the kings of the earth. Which is why, as we look at this harlot, we can see this world as it really is and how it works through this age. But this great city will also fall under the judgment of God one day, which John has seen and records for us in the next chapter. But again, I 
return to the question I began with this morning. What do we learn from this mystery? We must resist the world's seductions by relying on Christ. Oh, resist the world's seductions by relying on Christ. And I ask each of you this morning, is this how you see the world we live in? As a harlot that prostitutes herself to seduce us? Is this world a harlot that prostitutes herself by seducing you with her pleasures? What God's Word reveals to us and explains to us is, yes, it is. I mean, think about it. We live in a world of materialism, which entices us to pursue prosperity in its wealth. That's why marketing and advertising make us discontent and dissatisfied with what we have and with what God has given us so that we will always want and work for more. A harlot seducing us through materialism. But we also live in a world of sexual immorality, which invites us to indulge freely in the pleasures that God has reserved for our enjoyment in marriage. And there's an entire entertainment industry that exploits men and women to fuel our lusts and to lead us to believe that sexual gratification is our right. Oh, how this harlot seduces us today. We also live in a world of popular spirituality which distorts and denies God's word to calm our consciences and enslave us to satisfying our desires causing us to worship false gods whether we recognize them as gods or not again the world is a harlot seducing us with her pleasures Yet, brothers and sisters, and all of those who are here this morning, this world is passing away under the judgment of God. And its pleasures are fleeting and will fade away. So recognize this sinful world for what it is. And receive Christ as your Savior. Do not fall for the seductions of this world. But see your sinfulness and turn away from your sinfulness and repentance as you turn to the love of Christ in faith. A true love that the harlot of this world will never provide. Repent of your sins and receive Christ as your loving Savior.
But the truth is, as a Christian, I must admit that I am far too comfortable in this world myself, which then leaves me vulnerable to the world's temptations. We live in a world surrounded by its seductions, which can dull our senses and our awareness of its dangers, which is why God gives us a heavenly view of this sinful world here. So we can recognize this world for what it really is. You see then that we don't need to wait for the rise of the Antichrist to see that this Babylonian spirit is with us today. So let us hear then this warning against worldliness from 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17, where the same author of this revelation, the same one apostle who recorded these words in Revelation says to us in this letter, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So through our struggles and sufferings in this world, may we not fall for the seductions that it offers. May we do the will of God in faithfulness to Christ, relying on Him who will overcome all of our opposition as Lord of lords and King of kings, and who leads us then to an eternity of joy in the presence of God. And may this be our steadfast and secure hope to live in the seductive world. Let us pray. Father, this mystery is far too important for us to remain ignorant of. So we thank you for revealing these truths to us through the symbolic vision of this chapter in Revelation this morning. But may we then recognize the danger we are in and resist the world's seductions by relying on Christ. Oh Lord, may our hope and our very salvation be found in Christ alone so that we will not join together with the harlot of this world We look forward as the bride of Christ to being united together with Christ forever. So, Father, we pray for all these things in the precious and sweet name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.
Amen.